Thanks for joining me again. And in this episode, we've got a lot to get through and to break down. It's Thursday, December 13th, and Theresa May just hours ago survived a no confidence vote. 200 to 117. You could say that she stays on convincingly, but with more than 100 members of parliament asking her to go, and after she had already offered not to stand in the next election, that I would say is a problem. A Brexit that delivers on the vote that people gave, that brings back control of our money, our borders and our laws, that protects jobs, security and the union. Theresa May triggers different emotions in different people. For some, she's a lame duck leader. To others, she's simply doing the best she can after an impossible referendum, a referendum that she didn't originally call. But amidst the anger, there's also sympathy. What I find interesting is that this isn't about saving someone's job. Ultimately, whether Theresa May is prime minister or not is not what's important, because this is about the future of the United Kingdom, its relationship with the rest of Europe and its place in a fast-changing world. But increasingly, it's also about the very survival of the Union, which these days is looking pretty brittle. There's trouble nearby too, as protesters in France called the Yellow Vests, or Gilets Jaunes, continued their opposition to President Emmanuel Macron. Clearly, this is not just about the fuel tax on which he's already backed down. I'd like to thank everyone, politicians, union leaders, citizens who call for calm, so that those French people who want to express themselves aren't mixed up with those who come to vandalize and fight with the security services. That was French Prime Minister Edouard Philippe. I think what today's leaders still fail to grasp, and this is why people say that their leaders are out of touch, and this is not just about France, but applies to many governments, is that many people are feeling disenfranchised, or in a more straightforward language, they're feeling left out, forgotten, cast aside. In this episode, I'm going to dissect the Huawei story, what this means for China, the US, their trade war, their trade truce, the fate of Meng Wanzhou, the Huawei executive detained and now out on bail, the fate also of Michael Kovrig, the former Canadian diplomat detained in Beijing, Canada's relationship with China and the US, and when and how this is all going to end. But later in the show, we'll listen also to Leroy Chow, the American astronaut, who's talking about China's attempt to become the first to send a probe to the far side of the moon. This is how significant he says it is. This actually really is a mission of first. So this is going to be the first time anyone or any entity has landed a probe on the far side of the moon. Well, that was just a quick preview. More from Leroy Chow later on in this show. As I said, now on to Huawei, the company known for its laptops, mobile phones, and the really great pictures you can take on those phones. But this isn't about selfies. As we now know, two Saturdays ago on December 1st, Meng Wanzhou was arrested by Canadian authorities as she was switching planes in Vancouver on her way from Mexico and on her way to Hong Kong. She knows Canada well. She has a couple of homes there. The problem is she's the public face of a company alleged to have ties to the Chinese military and she's also the daughter of its founder and president, Ren Zhengfei. This is where it gets more complex. The arrest warrant for Meng was put out by the United States, not by Canada. 
U.S. says Skycom, said to be a Huawei entity, broke sanctions on trade with Iran, leading to charges against Meng for conspiracy to defraud multiple international institutions. I'm using words like claimed, alleged and said to be. I'm not being coy because really we don't know anything for a fact yet. But if everything is confirmed, just how serious is this case? Bruce Fine is a lawyer with expertise in constitutional and international law. He's also a principal at the Litchfield Group. Number one, what's the violation? Breaking sanctions with Iran? It's of trivial uh, concern to the United States national security. It's not like they, that she's alleged to have stolen any intellectual property relating to nuclear technology or weapon systems or anything like that. So what he's trying to say is that the Iran sanctions are not at the root of the charges. What I think is that the timing and context is not entirely uh, coincidental. Reason, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says it's not political. It was purely a matter for the courts, but on the U.S. side, John Bolton, National Security Advisor, says he was aware of the arrest warrant in advance. So that's my take. Today, one of the defining game changers in the China-U.S. relationship is technology. Tech is the space race of the 21st century. Before, it was about the U.S. and the Soviet Union being the first to send a man to the moon. Now it's about China and the U.S. And who will be first to dominate the tech space completely? As if to confirm that, the White House played host this week to a roster of heads of leading tech groups. And at the same time, Politicians from 80 countries interacted at a conference on Capitol Hill where Chris Boyer from AT&T and Jack Norwood from City Cyber Intelligence Center voiced these concerns. We are increasingly concerned about um, nation-state actors um, viewing critical infrastructure such as the networks that we operate um, as being um, collateral um, in some of these geopolitical issues. To share the information that you have as governments and to help facilitate the sharing of the information that the corporations within your countries have with one another. Meanwhile, Canada has chosen to be positioned between a rock and a hard place, maybe to protect its interests with the US, a relationship that's come under some strain in the Trudeau-Trump era. And at the same time, Meng, who may or may not be a leading executive with a company with military ties to China, has been detained in a foreign land. So, Earlier we heard from an American expert, now let's head to a Chinese, Xu Qindor, who's an adjunct professor at Renmin University and a senior fellow at the Pangol Institution. You know, for competition, that's fine. Strategic competition between China and the United States is understandable. But still, there are rules we should follow. And now there's no bottom line uh, by uh, basically kidnapping uh, Madame Meng and making her a, a bargaining chip. Clearly no one's a winner. China and the US had just brokered a 90-day truce at the G20 summit when news of Meng's arrest broke. Trade for the two, let alone political relations, have entered new uncharted territory. And Canada now needs to find a way out. It's made the arrest, but without the US confirming its extradition case, and it has 60 long days to do that, Canada is stuck. The Chinese, fairly or unfairly, right or wrong, will think it's fair game to make it pay for allowing itself to take sides. Canada, that is. Xu Qindor thinks there is every possibility that this is what led to the detention of Michael Covering, an experienced Canadian former diplomat who's on special leave while he advises the International Crisis Group. Uh, it's likely, uh, obviously, you know, China has made it very clear 
China will do whatever it takes to make sure its citizens' rights is being protected either in China or overseas. And if you look at the case of Madame Mum, it's increasingly clear that it is not a matter of a rule of law. It is a matter of competition between China and the United States. Now, as we go to this podcast, we're hearing about a second Canadian being detained in China. So let's talk about Canada. What's at stake here? It seems unfair that Kovrig and Meng are made to pay personally for the collision of external political forces. Personally, I just don't know why Canada, if it did, got itself involved. Politics is cruel. And unless you're the major player here with all the aces in your hand, why risk it? Christia Freeland, Canada's foreign minister, chose her words slowly and carefully at a press conference. It is incumbent upon parties making an extradition request to be sure that that extradition request is about ensuring that justice is done, is about respecting the rule of law, and our extradition partners should not seek to politicize the extradition process. You'll remember Freeland from Canada's tangle with Saudi Arabia. That seemed unwise at the time. But Canada also has every right to speak its mind. And Freeland stood her ground firmly in that case. But in this case, Canada has to balance interests between its relationship with near neighbour and traditional ally, the United States, and also a very strong trading partner, China, and get Michael Kovrig out, shooting door again. Obviously, Canada is either naive or pretending uh, they are unaware of this big picture. Uh, Huawei and Madame Meng is at the center of the storm between China and the United States. I think Canadian uh, you know, people, they are not happy to see one of, the, one of them is being detained in China. I, I think they have their own government to, you know, for explanation and to blame. My prediction is that Meng's bail may turn into her eventual freedom. She's a mother of four, and one can only imagine what her family are thinking, and also the family of Michael Kovrig, not forgetting. I think that he may also be released at roughly the same time, but let's see and let's see what happens between now and then. I went on to Kovrig's Twitter just now. His last post was on December 9th when he retweeted an article. Politics is unforgiving. Meanwhile, the Chinese foreign ministry says his employer, the International Crisis Group, is apparently not registered in China. So there's a lot of pressure being felt all around. Let's return to Bruce Fine for his take and with his knowledge of international law. If the Canadians conclude that the motivation behind this particular arrest and then followed with an extradition request was not really law enforcement, but to send a political signal to China, hey, she's kind of a pawn in bargaining so we get a better trade relationship. That is not an extraditable offense. That's exempt from extradition. And all the earmarks suggest that this is a political offense. So what does he predict as the next step? I fully expect that within the 60-day period, uh, for whatever reason, the United States will not go forward. I believe that as we speak right now, American businessmen, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is over at the White House saying, are you guys crazy? You know, we need to travel to China, too, in order to advance our business interests. And you are setting a precedent that places us at risk. And remember also, Mr. Trump is a businessman. He understands that he's traveling there. He, I think, would appreciate how absurd it is to take someone who's running a company and charge them criminally. 
That's the thing. I'm learning that U.S. and Chinese business figures are hesitating from traveling to one another because of Meng's arrest, which is a reminder also that third countries are involving themselves, so maybe they're not even safe on a transfer flight. Speaking of flights and speaking of advances in technology, China's launched its latest space mission, this time to land a robotic craft on the far side of the moon. It's never happened before, says Leroy Chow, a former NASA astronaut. This probe, if it lands successfully, will actually do use ground-penetrating radar to kind of map the structure underneath the surface to better understand the structure of the moon. And it's also going to be doing a few other things. It's going to be doing some radio astronomy, which is unique because what it means is on the far side of the moon, it blocks out all the transmissions coming from the Earth from all our broadcasting. And so it allows the uh, spacecraft to use an antenna to listen at very low frequencies to things that it wouldn't normally be able to hear uh, if it weren't in the Earth or in the moon's shadow. Chow is also an engineer, born in Wisconsin, raised in California. He says the Chang'e 4 mission is significant not just for China, but for all. So China is only the third nation to send a probe to the moon behind the United States and uh, the former Soviet Union. Uh, Russia did bring some samples back with their robotic lander, and of course the American astronauts brought back rock samples. But this will be the first sample returned from the far side, and so it'll be interesting to compare to see if the, you know there are any differences between the rocks that are collected on that side, which faces quite a different environment with the radiation from the sun and and also, uh, like I said, being shielded from other other aspects that aren't the same uh, from the other side. It's only the middle of the final month of this year. I'm sure a lot will unfold by the time we speak again in seven days. But let's genuinely hope it's for the better and for everyone.